this morning with a series on the book of Revelation. And for the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at the churches. So this morning, hopefully, we're going to be looking at the first three churches. Then next Sunday, the next two. And then the following Sunday, the last two churches of the seven churches. And then we're going to enter into Advent. So we're going to pick up the pieces from Revelation again, the beginning of the year, and then hopefully aim to finish it by Easter. So we're hoping to get a a grasp of what's going on. But um, just a quick reminder of the whole book. This was, we said, a letter that initially was given to John by the angel who was given the message by Jesus Christ who got it from the Father. Especially for the seven churches, but for all the churches as well. And we said that there is elements there that are quite pastoral. There is elements there that are apocalyptic, that look into the future. And there is also a prophetic element in the letter. And I think chapters 2 and 3 deal with things that actually are actual for the recipients of this letter. They are factual. This is what Jesus is writing to them. This is the message that Jesus has got for the churches. So I thought this morning um, I'd like for us to do it a little bit interactive. So I've asked three people to do different, uh, at different times of the sermon, to do the reading. So... Jill, would you like to come and do the first reading, please? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you, Jill. Throughout the whole series of the churches, I'd like to ask the question to myself and to you that if Jesus was to write a letter to Cairns Road Baptist Church, and I've immediately jumped into an application here, what would he write? But we, I want to keep that in, in the back of our minds. So, I think 
if you look at the map, which I was going to show you on my PowerPoint, is that the, the way that the letter is, or the way that the churches are being addressed, it's quite geographical. So from Patmos, the earlier or the closest church would be the church in Ephesus. And because this seemed to be circular letters, not only for the church in Ephesus, but for all the churches, I think it's quite practical for uh, the writer, John, here, to, to, to send them first to Ephesus, and then he'll carry on. But let's, let's look a little bit at Ephesus, the church there, but also let's look a little bit at the culture and the city uh, there. You know, so it, in those days, Ephesus was the most important city in Asia Minor. It was actually a great highway from Rome to the eastern portion of the empire. And actually, Ephesus also, religiously, was the place where they worshipped goddess Diana. So, um, you look at this place in those days, and with such a big influence, um, they believe that probably the city had over a quarter of a million people who lived in those days there. So it was a very, very... Thank you. Fantastic. It, it was a very, very affluent city. And uh, meanwhile, we know that this city was full of encounter of God's kingdom coming. If you remember, Paul went there to plant the church. Then we know from uh, the, the writings of Paul that... Timothy went there, and now John has got this element of addressing the church in Ephesus. And the structures of the letters usually start with something good about the churches, uh, a commendation. And it's very interesting what Paul says here, you know, I know, sorry, Paul, what Jesus is writing to, to the church. I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. And you cannot bear those who are evil. And also, I know that you have tested those that are apostles and are not, and found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake. So, Jesus is, 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 is writing to this group of people, this fellowship of... And remember that the picture that John had was that Jesus was in the center of these churches. The lampstands, the vision. So he is addressing them and he is affirming them for what they are. So this church is very good at holding the sound doctrine. They've, they've had a heritage of Paul's ministry, of Timothy's ministry and now John's ministry. Of course, they, they, they've been very well taught. They've, they've really been addressing things that these this missionaries of the past have, have really warned them about, to say that, actually, watch out for the false teachers. And that's what they've done. They've really been faithful to hold the apostles' teachings. But the letter doesn't finish here. And this is the first thing that I wanted to bring here to bring as our thought, is that Jesus knows 
it's his church very well as, and is interested to work with each and every one of us as his people in the areas that we need him the most. Because Jesus is referring to the Ephesians and saying, yes, you've got all this thing sorted. You're holding forth to the sound doctrine. But, but, you have forsaken your first love. Now, that's a scary concept. How is it possible that you are so passionate about holding so strongly to your convictions, so strongly to the heritage that you have had from the missionaries that actually planted churches everywhere, and yet you have fallen into the trap of becoming so methodological about your Christianity that you have forgotten the first and the biggest commandment of them all to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and therefore to love your neighbor as yourself and isn't that what Paul is reminding the Corinthians as well in First Corinthians 13, that very famous and popular passage? And it's a reminder that even if I had the soundest, if that's the uh, uh, imperative of the adjective, even if I had the best sound doctrine, and I didn't have love, it will count as nothing. It's an empty thing. So church, the Lord Jesus is interested in his church. And he said to Peter, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And therefore, he is being open to say that Ephesus, if you don't change your minds, if you stick only to the sound doctrine, and you forget about loving God, then you're in big trouble. Yet, you have got an option. Remember from where you have fallen, repent, or elsewhere, I'll come quickly to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. An opportunity here for the church to respond. An opportunity here for the church to respond, because actually it is Jesus who is inviting them. And he's saying, if you, have missed, if you have missed this opportunity and you have really dragged upon and you have really built all your church practices on your sound doctrine, but you have not got love for that, then I'm inviting you 
to come and recalibrate that love. And there is no other better place for that love to be refreshed other other than the feet of Jesus. And I remember I explained a few Sundays ago that the notion of repentance is when you are going in one direction and you come to the realization that actually this is wrong and you turn back and you're saying I'm not going to leave anymore for that but this is my aim because I have come to my senses. So this is what Jesus is inviting the church that if you know, if you have noticed that you have lost your first love This is an opportunity for you to come and say, I've messed around. I cannot carry on like this. And there is no better place for us to come and be filled with that love, energize that love, other than the cross of Jesus. What we learn from Ephesus is that it is possible for us to run everything soundly. It is possible for us to have everything up to scratch. And in the midst of this, we miss out on the most important thing. Can I throw that in and say, where is the church of God in regards to the first love in the 21st century? Let's make it general because we like it. I wanted to bring it a little bit more home. Where is Cairns Road? when it comes to the first love in the 6th of November 2016. And perhaps there are some of us here that are saying, oh, maybe this is an area that we can all work on towards. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation. I think we can all do it because that almighty God that we thought of in the beginning of the service still deals with people like you and me. Has dealt with Israel in the Old Testament, has dealt with the early church and is still dealing with the church 2,000 years ongoing. Because Christ will build his church. And if you're thinking and you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I can work on that. I'd love for me to have this refreshment of my first love with God. Remember, when you came to faith and you recognized that actually without Jesus you are lost 
And you encounter that, that amazing experience of saying, Whoa! Now I have become a daughter or a son of God through what Jesus Christ has done for me. And as years has gone by, that has faded away. And that's what has happened in Ephesus. This has happened with a community of faith who is the first hand of believers, who is the first hand of heritage of the apostles. It could happen to us. But maybe you're sitting here, you're saying, well, I have never experienced that first love. What can I do for it? What do I need to do about this? And I'm going to say again, come to Jesus. Accept that He has died for you on the cross. Accept that He has become the source to make you friends with God. He has become the means that you can come to Him and instead of being an enemy of God, you are calling Him Abba, Father. But you cannot do this without (coughs) repenting. You cannot do this without giving up your way of doing things. I was going this direction. Stopping, recognizing, and turning and saying, it's not anymore about me. It's about you. And I will follow you. Later on we'll have an opportunity to pray. So for those of you who want to pray about this first love, whether you want it refreshed or whether you want it to experience first time, We'll have that opportunity. I'm sure that there is much more stuff that we can talk about Ephesus here, but I want to move on because we've got another two churches to cover. The other church is the church in Smyrna. John, would you like to come and do the reading for us, please? To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Thank you. In some parts of the Roman Empire, slaves formed the largest part of the population. And probably 
what's happening in Smyrna is that we've got a group of disciples or small church which is formed, it's composed of slaves. The lowest class of society. People that had very little influence, if not at all. People with no prestige. And as a result, very little education. And yet, God is writing to them and is saying, I know you too. I know you too. I know your works. I know your tribulation. And I know your poverty. But you are rich. I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know what you are going through. And I know that you are poor. And I know that in the coming days, you're going to face bigger troubles than what you have faced. But just be faithful. Now, there is something interesting about this kind of churches. I'm not going to use an example about Albania, but I'm sure Andy Cordell can agree with me. But there is a beauty about a community of faith who are materialistically poor in the way that they follow God. I mentioned Andy because a few years ago I went to Nepal and people sitting in something that would not even pass health and safety that Richard reminded us about earlier on. In big crowds, being there, devoted to be together and worship God. Despite of what they were going on in their lives as individuals, but also in their family lives. I think for me it was a very moving experience to come to this place that basically they literally had nothing. Nothing to hold off. And yet, it was a very rich experience of encountering God. And this is kind of the same idea that John is trying to transmit here from Jesus that actually, although you feel that you are under tribulation, although you feel that you are afflicted, although you feel that you have no word to say because actually, you being trashed around, keep on going. Keep on being faithful. Although you are being blasphemed by those who are Jews, do not fear about things that you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and you'll have tribulations. 
but be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Do you see this, this idea again that it's a pastoral letter because he's trying to talk about this victorious living in times of tribulations. And he knows, John knows, Jesus knows, God knows that the, the Christians, the, 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 the God, God's people in Smyrna are really having a hard time. And yet he talks about something that is long-lasting. And it's not the crown of the temple in the city that is important, but it's a crown of life which Jesus has promised to his people. What do you do? What do you say? How do you deal with such a poverty that is afflicted by persecution. Now, what happens normally is that we, the church in the West, take this information of what's going on in the world and we sit down and we give around our thinking and theories of what can be done and how can we do it. Or what, what is it possible that could happen? The reality is that those people that have got it first hand are the best teachers for the church in the West. So the question that I'm asking here is not what we can teach the church in our days which is in under persecution. On the 20th of November uh, is going to be the National Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. But my take would be, what are some of the things that we ourselves can learn from this church in our days who is going under persecution? Now, I'd ask somebody who is not well this morning... Uh, would somebody like to come and read the verses? Um, I think it's 12 to 17. Please. Richard? Or, yeah. To the angel in the church in Pergamon write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You've been teaching, sorry, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So here we've got the third church. We've been talking about the church in Ephesus, who is this church who is very doctrinally sound, but has left behind, has forgotten the first love. We've got the suffering church in Smyrna. And then we've got the third church, which actually, it's the compromising church in Pergamon. Now, if you want this situation of the church here is, Pergamos was the capital province of Asia Minor. And in one sense, it was the seat for the emperor's worship. And because it was the seat for the emperor's worship, then everybody was obliged to offer incense to the statue of emperor as a god. A little bit like North Korea. There were a lot of temples around. And that's why it talks about this temple of Satan here. But what is most interesting thing here is that God says, I know your works again. I know where you dwell. It's really hard. Where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith even the days which Antipas was a faithful martyr. But I've got a few things against you. You're compromising. And the story of Balaam and Balak from the Old Testament, Numbers 21, comes as an illustration. Because although Balaam did not do his job as a prophet rightly, he was a materialistic prophet, which kind of treated that it was possible to serve God, but it was possible to serve money and appetite in the same time. So the way he dealt with it is that he accommodated his ministry amongst the pagans so he could enjoy their friendships. But Balaam did not pay any attention to the spiritual damage his decision would have on the people. And that's why Jesus is talking to the church and saying, you're doing this right, you're doing this right, you're doing that right, but you have got some people amongst you who have compromised. The church whose hold sound doctrine but lost its first love. The suffering church and the compromising church. We'll not stop here because we've got a few other churches to deal with. But the verse that I want to leave us with is that in all the seven churches it says, now let everyone here or those who have ears, 
hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And there is always someone that overcomes. We're going to be taking communion together. We're coming to the Lord's table. And I want for this to be used as a time that we think a little bit about first love. We think a little bit of lessons that we can learn from the persecuted church. And also, we can think a little bit that what are the easiest areas for us to compromise as God's people? And what are the things that we say, we look back, we've been here for so many years, and we know that we didn't compromise then. Because again, it's very easy to be done in the 21st century. I'd like for you to come forward again to the table, and I'd love to serve it, the communion to you. Um, Iron is, with the band, are going to lead us in a time of worship. But we've mentioned a lot of God's glory We're carrying on with this vision of the resurrected Christ. And we're going to be reminded what he has done for us. So I invite everybody who really wants to have this fresh start with the first love, who wants to press on to be faithful, and who wants to press on with being faithful without compromise. Because this is how we're showing that whoever has ears hears what the Spirit is saying to the churches.